and <coughs> we'll be there. Great, just one or two things to catch you up on before I uh, speak this morning, just on the wider kind of new ground, the family of churches that we're part of. Uh, just take a few minutes to do that. We had a prayer night the other day. During our week of prayer, most other churches in New Ground were having a week of prayer. So we kind of designated the Wednesday night as one where we would try to pray uh, for some of our church plants. I think we hooked into six churches or church plants via Zoom. And uh, then everyone could hear a bit of an update, five minutes, and then pray for 10 minutes, and then hear an update from Berlin, and pray for 10 minutes, and hear an update from Holland, and pray. And that's how we did it. And we had 600 people uh, across our family of churches there for the first one, uh, which we were thrilled about. So thank you to everyone who uh, came. And Wednesday night of our week of prayer is now going to be uh, three times a year, a new ground prayer night. So do uh, come down for that. I'm sure we can get a couple of thousand people praying. The other thing just to say is that yesterday was a Berlin prayer day. So I think uh, Josie and Kevin and Liz are there. Uh, I got a photograph. I could pick out Kevin and Liz at the back. I couldn't pick out Josie, but I, it was one photo. Um, but uh, I think they're over there at the moment praying for Berlin. And then um, next Sunday, I head off to Zimbabwe. I'm there for nine days going to go and spend three, four days in Harare with Tonga and Joy and River of Life Church um, in Harare, seeing how those guys are doing and just our ongoing support and care for them. And then we jump in the car and drive down five, six hours uh, on Zimbabwean roads to um, Bulawayo. And that's where the family of churches they're part of in New Frontiers called Disciple Nations has got their kind of Ashburnham equivalent event. They're one once a year gather everyone event that they call Megavision, uh, because Scott loves big names like that, uh, Megavision. And uh, Phil Moore's flying over uh, halfway through the week, and then we're going to be at Megavision. He's going to do the talking stuff up front, and I'm going to do some behind-the-scenes stuff, meeting with some of the leaders. So please do pray, head off next Sunday, and we're away. I'm away for nine, ten days, uh, so do please pray. So that's just something of the, the wider scene which I know much of it I'm involved in, but I go on our behalf. I'm representing you all. So as I'm involved, so King's Church is involved. Okay, this morning uh, we are carrying on our series of encounters with Jesus, and I think you handed out some notes, which will give you uh, uh, this chunk of Mark 5. And I'm just going to get straight on and read it, and then we'll open it up and see what we can learn this morning. So I'm going to read Mark 5. 21 to 43. It says, When Jesus had crossed again over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so, so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped 
and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them, to give her something to eat. Lord Jesus, we want to pray that this morning you would speak to us through these two encounters and by your Holy Spirit you would enable us to hear what it is that you want to say to us individually and how we apply your word into our life. So I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well... This morning, the uh, encounter that I was given to look at was about this woman who was hemorrhaging blood. But once you start to study and read about it, you realize that this encounter happens in the middle of another encounter. It happens right in the middle of an encounter with a man named Jairus, whose little girl is dying. And quickly, as you study and read, you realize that these are not two separate, independent encounters that just happened to have happened at the same time, they are connected. And you have to look at both of them if you're going to understand what they are teaching us. So let's start with Jesus' encounter with this woman who is hemorrhaging blood that happens smack bang in the middle of the encounter with Jairus. Now, in terms of this woman, we don't actually know much about her. We don't actually know her name. What we know is that she has been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Effectively, she's been having one constant nonstop period for 12 years. I'll just let, let that sink in for a moment. You've got to get the horror of that. 12 years, not 12 minutes, not 12 days, not 12 weeks, 12 Years, 12 years, every day, constant bleeding. And that's horrible for any, for any woman in any culture 
But you know, it was much more than, than just a medical nightmare. In Jewish culture, it was a complete religious and social catastrophe. We probably don't get this, but we've got to get our heads around it. We've got to try and put ourselves in this lady's shoes. You see, this woman, because of this, would have been banned, barred, and broke. Right? Banned, barred, and broke. Because under Mosaic law, any menstruating woman was deemed ceremonially unclean and was barred from the temple. She was barred from going to the place where the people of God went to worship. And because she was bleeding continually, she wasn't just banned one Sunday a month or one Saturday a month or every now and then. She was banned continually for 12 years from going with the people of God and worshiping. And it gets even worse because anybody who she would have touched while she was bleeding, which she was continually for 12 years if I hadn't mentioned that, anybody that she touched at all, they would have been deemed to be unclean as well until the following morning and would have had to gone off and kept themselves away from everybody else. And because of that, because she was deemed to be unclean, she couldn't touch anybody else, she was banned from being out in public. She was banned from being out in public places. She faced the wrath of the community if they found out that she was out in any kind of public place. And if that wasn't bad enough, she is also desperate because there's no health service. The doctors that are there, some might be quite good. Most were probably rubbish. And so she has spent all her money on trying to get doctors to heal her and they haven't been out of healer, and so she's constantly broke because she's constantly bleeding, and so she's desperate, and she's given what money she has. I don't know how she gets money when she can't go out. She can't go to worship. She, she's given it to the doctors. They're not healing her, and so she is broke. Jesus is her last hope. Jesus is her only hope. We get something of why this woman is so desperate when we get our heads around the situation that she's in. And so, with disregard to the law, and, and in a sense, not worrying about the people's anger or disapproval, it says she pushes through the crowd in order just to touch the hem of Jesus' clothes, because she believes that if she can touch his clothes, she will be healed. Now, the Bible gives us no explanation as to why she believed she would be healed. I mean, there's you can't really find a verse as to why in her situation touching Jesus' clothes would heal her. There's not really a reason, but for some reason she believes. She's convinced if she does, she'll be healed. And so she comes up behind Jesus, pushes through the crowd, touches his cloak, and in a moment is wonderfully healed. Amazingly healed. Wonderful. Just wonderful right there. And in this strange, wonderful moment, and presumably she, I don't know, if the crowd's moving down and there's Jesus and there's people and she's touched the hem of his clothes and she's healed, if she just stops, I suspect Jesus and the crowd carry on. So presumably she's kind of subsumed back into the crowd and yet Jesus suddenly realizes that power's gone out from him. 
Someone's touched him. And so he says to his disciples, who touched me? And they're thinking, he's lost it, Jesus. What are you talking about? There's, all, there's a crowd. We're bumping. We're jostling. Everyone's touching you. What do you mean? But Jesus knows there's been a touch that is not just a bump or, a, or, a, or a someone knocking into him. He knows that there's been a miracle has happened. And so he keeps asking, no, no, who touched me? And eventually this woman, it says, imagine her. She probably just wanted to keep hiding away in the crowd. But Jesus is standing there looking like an idiot. Who touched me? What do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. And she's standing there. No, no. She knows it's me who's touched him. She knows she's had a wonderful healing. And so it eventually says that she comes and lays down at his feet. And she's trembling and explains what's happened. And Jesus says these amazing words to her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. She's full of fear that she's going to get remanded, scolded, had a go at by the crowd. Maybe Jesus is going to have a go. Why did you touch me like that? Who knows? She's just full of fear and trembling. Mind you, having lived for the last 12 years as she has, I'm not surprised. And yet what she receives is these wonderful words. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. So that's one summary of the first encounter. But let's just think about the other encounter that Jesus had with Jairus, whose daughter is dying, and whom the woman with the hemorrhaging, her encounter happened right in the middle as Jesus is dealing with Jairus. So it starts off by saying there's this guy called Jairus, and he's a synagogue ruler, and he falls at Jesus' feet, asking him to come and place his hands and pray for his daughter who is dying. And Jairus is clearly a man of position and influence because he's a synagogue ruler. And you don't get to be a synagogue ruler without being somebody in authority, somebody known to the community. And like the, the woman, he's in a desperate place, not for himself, but because of his dying daughter. And he goes to Jesus, and then as Jesus is following him down the road, the encounter with the woman hemorrhaging blood happens. So presumably for Jairus, he's, he's gone and he's laid himself at Jesus' feet, and Jesus is following him down the road, and he's thinking, great, my daughter's going to get healed. And then suddenly, halfway down the road, there's this other incident, and Jesus stops and stops walking and starts talking to this woman. And presumably Jairus is standing there. My daughter is dying. You know, I was kind of here first. I mean, we get upset when someone parks in our parking space at Waitrose, don't we? The end of the world as we know it. He's walking down the road. His little girl is dying. Time is of the essence. Jesus is talking to this woman and Jairus is standing there. And while Jesus is talking to the woman, people come to Jairus and say, too late. Too late, she's dead. Your, your girl's died. There's no point bothering Jesus now. Can you imagine what was going through Jairus' mind at that moment? Can you imagine how he must have felt? He's definitely going to be heartbroken that his little girl has died. 
Maybe he's, he's angry at the woman for delaying Jesus. We were on the way. Perhaps if you wouldn't have spoken, we perhaps could have been there. Maybe he's disappointed in Jesus. If you would have come, you would have healed her. He's definitely disappointed as a dad that he couldn't save his little girl. And yet it's in this darkest of dark moments when I think sorrow and fear are about to overwhelm Jairus, Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid, just believe. You've got to picture it. Jairus is there. He's watching. He's heard the terrible news. And Jesus turns and says, don't be afraid, just believe. And the story goes on to say that Jesus goes and he raises the little girl back to life and the parents are astonished. So what can we learn from these two different encounters? Why are they sandwiched together? How does the one help us understand what God wants us to learn from them both? Well, Jesus and the woman have really only one thing in common that is obvious. They're both in a terrible, desperate situation. They both have no hope apart from Jesus. Her, due to bleeding that she can't stop and the doctors can't stop, and him because his little girl is dying and there's nothing that he or the doctors can do. But you know, apart from that, Jairus and this woman, they couldn't be any more different. They couldn't, they're poles apart. And when the Bible does this, it does it because it's making a point to us. Jairus has this position of status in society. He's known by people. When he walked down the road, everyone would have known that's Jairus because he's the ruler of the synagogue. When she walked down the road, no one would have noticed her whatsoever. He has authority. He has clout. He has no problem in approaching Jesus in the middle of the crowd, falling at Jesus' feet and asking him to come back to his house and pray for his daughter. He falls at Jesus' feet out of humility and desperation, but it takes some bold simply to go up to Jesus in the middle of the crowd and approach him and say, can you just stop what you're doing, Jesus, and now come and heal my daughter? That's Jairus. But this woman, when you think about her, she has no status. She has no position. Her name is either unknown or not remembered, but it isn't recorded. Again, it's the Bible trying to make a point. The fact that she is unnamed simply reflects that in terms of society's eyes, she was a nobody. She was a nobody of any importance. Jairus is named, he's a synagogue ruler, he's a man of importance. She's not even named because it's making a point. As far as society is concerned, she is not important. She is a nobody. In fact, the only way she's identified is by the hemorrhaging of blood, which is actually the cause of her desperation and shame. Jairus, this man of status and privilege, he approaches Jesus from the front. But her, being someone of no importance or privilege, she kind of approaches from behind. She's not even going to go and confront him face to face. And all this is not coincidental. It's supposed to challenge us, provoke us. It's supposed to help us understand what's going on. The fact that she's not named, the fact that she's a woman, the fact that she goes up from behind, the fact that Jairus is completely the opposite. He's a man and he's got status and authority and he approaches Jesus from the front. These things are significant. The Bible is painting us a picture because this is how the world in general views these two people or at least what they represent. 
This is how the world, in a sense, would view them. That's why the Bible paints this kind of picture. And the world would expect Jairus to get a better treatment from Jesus and that the woman should be grateful for any treatment that she gets. Are you with me? That's how the world is. It's Jairus. He's Jairus. He's a man, which in Jewish society in those days meant he was, and he's a synagogue ruler, right? He's important. And she's not important. And therefore, he's going to get a better treatment, if you like, by Jesus. That's what the world, in a sense, would expect, because that's how the world would treat them. If this man walked into the hospital, he'd get better treatment than her. In a sense, that's kind of what this is driving at. But you see, fortunately, this series is about encounters with Jesus. It's not about encounters with the Jesus as the world thinks Jesus should be, which is like they are. (laughs) This is about encounters with the real Jesus. And so to all intents and purposes, it's Jairus who kind of, you would imagine, holds the upper hand. But you know, he does not hold the upper hand in the thing that really matters. Because what really matters is faith. And this woman has faith. She exemplifies faith. In many ways, their roles are completely reversed. Because despite her embarrassing and terrible circumstances, she pushes through the crowd, she pushes through the disciples to reach Jesus. She overcomes the fact that she's nameless, that she's unclean in their eyes, her lack of status, her lack of position, her shame. She overcomes them all. She's determined, I'm going to reach Jesus. I am going to reach Jesus. And her reward for such incredible faith is not just healing, which is amazing and wonderful and life-changing. Just imagine 12 years of bleeding, banned from society, barred from the temple, broke, and she gets healed in a moment. It's an amazing healing. But she also gets something which is as amazing, which is Jesus's words. He says to her, your faith, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, be free. Now we know and he knows that the divine power to actually heal her was released, was in him We know that. Jesus knows that. He's not saying she suddenly became divine and was able to heal herself. What he's saying is, no, yeah, the power was in me, but do you know what? It got released through your faith. It's like in this moment, Jesus doesn't take the spotlight on himself and his power. It's like he turns the spotlight round onto her and says, it was your faith that released my power. Are you with me? It was your faith released my power. So to the extent that he says, your faith has healed you. It's like Jesus wants to take her faith and he wants to hold it up. He says it out loud. So everybody who's there, all that jostling crowd and her, they can all see it. It was your faith that healed. It's like he's holding it up. He's holding her faith up. And crucially, there's somebody else. Where are we going? There's somebody else there who's listening. There's somebody else there in the scene who Jesus is talking to in that moment. Someone else who is listening to Jesus commending her faith. Someone who had faith that morning when he got up with his dying girl, 
That faith took him to lay prostrate at Jesus' feet. But right now, in this moment, even that mustard seed of faith is under attack and being shaken to the core. It's Jairus. This man with status and position, who seemingly in the world's eyes has everything, but right now is in a position where it all counts for nothing. His little girl has just died. There's nothing his status or name or power can do about that. And even that faith that caused him to go find this man called Jesus, who he's perhaps heard has healed other people, that his daughter might be healed if only Jesus could come to pray. Even that faith is under attack, is under attack. Because as he's standing there, frustrated, watching, well, why the delay? Why the, what's going on with this woman? What's Jesus talking about? Your faith, is, as, he's, as he's watching all this, some people come from his house and say, she's dead. Finished. She's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. No point. Just imagine, just imagine what would have that done to his faith in the moment? Just caused it to shrivel, die, come under such pressure. And it's in this moment, in this moment, that Jesus looks away from the woman, looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, just believe. <laughs> don't be afraid, just believe. And the question is, how is Jairus, as he's standing there, going to understand that command to believe? How do I need to believe Jesus? What kind of faith am I to have? Is there, is there an example of a faith that you're talking about, Jesus, when it feels like it's so being pressured and shrunk and being eroded before my very eyes? Is there an example of the kind of faith you're talking about, Jesus, when they've just said that my little girl has died? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. The woman, the woman, you need to have faith like her. She's just shown Jairus what kind of faith is. She's kind of shown what kind of faith can look like, that actually, despite the contrary, if we believe in Jesus, we can just touch him, I'm going to be healed. Jairus has just had a demonstration of, of the faith, really, that Jesus is talking about, a faith that knows no limits. Hang on a second. If Jesus can heal a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, then even if my little girl has died, he can raise her back to life. That's the kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about. See, I think at that moment, Jesus gets a, Jairus gets a, dis, gets a display of that kind of faith. Her faith that's got nothing to do with position or status or what the world holds dear, but this unswerving trust in Jesus. See, Faith is the key theme of these two stories. And it's the woman hemorrhaging blood who is the one who from the most unlikely position, if you like, exemplifies the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. So when we dovetail these two encounters together, which is what the Bible does for us, of these two different people, we see a whole number of things. We, we kind of see that being... Male, ritually pure, holding high office, having money, status, being somebody in society's eyes in the day that you live actually didn't hold any advantage in terms of being able to approach Jesus. All the things that the world would have said are an advantage 
were not in that sense an advantage. We also see that many of the things that would have been a disadvantage, being female, being impure, being dishonored, being destitute, things that the world would have said, you can't approach God if you're like that. Actually, this woman is a living, walking example that, no, 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 you can. These are no barriers to receiving from Jesus. Because in God's kingdom, nobodies, as the world defines them, become somebodies. In God's kingdom, nobodies, as the world would define them, become somebodies. And this woman becomes a somebody because what God is looking for is faith. Hebrews 11:6 goes as far to say this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This woman is a somebody in the kingdom of God because she has something more precious than money, status, power. She probably has something which is more precious than just about everything apart from love, which is faith. It's also, though, interesting to note, while I was studying for this, someone made the point, actually, even though, in a sense, she becomes the hero of the story, or that her faith does, actually, Jesus does not turn her against him, against Jairus. He doesn't turn the lowly against the lofty, if you like. There's no sense of Jairus being treated with disdain because he is those things. There's no sense of her looking down on him or Jesus looking down on him because he is those things. It's simply the fact that those things that the world holds dear won't help you in these crucial moments. What you're looking for is faith. It enables everybody. It enables both this woman and Jairus in very different, if you like, world situations to come before Jesus as equals. Honored, dishonored, Clean, unclean, male, female, powerful, powerless, educated, uneducated, those who have a home, those who are homeless. It could go on and on and on. All can approach Jesus as equals because we need his undeserved mercy. We need him to do things for us. We need him to save us. We need him to heal us. We need him to show us how he wants us to live. And to receive that, what we need are not all those other things, but what we need for that is faith. Equality is not so much about men and women being the same, because we're not the same, because God made us different. Equality starts with all people, all men and women, realizing we need Jesus. We need his forgiveness. We need his activity in our life. We need him. Before him, we're lost. We're nothing. And once we realize that, then we can work out our life, not being shaped by celebrity or culture or the Daily Mail or Twitter or Facebook or anything else that would try and mold and shape us. We can work out how we are going to be according to what Jesus says, according to what he wants. The woman who was hemorrhaging blood is the star of this encounter. But she's not the star because she's a woman. She's not even the star because she's gone through difficulties. She's the star because she has faith in Jesus. She's an example of what faith looks like. She, what shines is her faith. And actually, it's her faith which is then a provocation 
and a help to Jairus. Jairus, in his moment of greatest need, when he's told your little girl is dead, don't bother Jesus anymore, he looks on and sees the woman's faith and he's able to to take courage and almost take some of her faith for himself. And so he carries on with Jesus, believing, yeah, Jesus, you can raise my little girl from the dead, even bringing her back to life. Let me just pick up for you four things about what faith does that we see from this story that I think we can apply into our lives with things that we go through in our lives. Number one, faith opens the door to the power of God. I don't know how, but somehow faith is like the unleasher, like the conductor of the power of God to be let loose into people's lives and into situations' lives, when even if they don't have any hope for themselves. Faith might be imperfect. It, it, it might be laced with fear and trembling. But you know what? As long as it's directed to God and to Jesus, then it can be effective. The father had faith in Jesus, and that's what saved his daughter. The woman had faith in Jesus to stop her bleeding, and that's what stopped her bleeding. Faith is like the thing that somehow opens the door, unleashes God's power into a situation or a circumstance. And I know, I think one thing that, that hits our faith is what happens when nothing happens. What happens to our faith when we don't see the thing that we have been praying for? I always think about this in terms of Jane's esophagus, which hasn't been healed now for, I don't know, eight, nine years. And if I just focused on that, I would say, well, God, I had faith that you, you're good and you can heal, but you haven't healed yet. And maybe nine years later, my faith would be rocked because God hasn't done that. But on those, during those nine years, Jane and I have seen God answer some amazing prayers and answer our faith in many, many different situations. And when I take not only the situation with her esophagus, but all the other situations as well, I, can, I am able to take faith from them that God is good and God is with us and God does answer prayer, and God is powerful to heal, and rather than turning away from God on this one that seems like a rock that I can't get through, what I do is I take courage and I take faith from those, and I apply it into this one and say, I will not give up, which is really what Jairus did, which is really what Jesus was encouraging Jairus to do. Faith opens the door to the power of God. If there's a situation that you can't and haven't seen breakthrough, if you give up, that is the worst thing that you can do. Finding faith to keep believing might be tricky, but but that you can see a breakthrough with that. If you just give up, you just stop, that's the worst thing to do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Second one, faith persists in overcoming obstacles. Think about this woman. She has to overcome her sense of shame, fear of the crowd, fear of being out in public. She, she shouldn't do these things. Jairus, he has to ignore the fact that his friends are saying that his, his little girl is dead. How easy would it have been for Jairus at that moment to say, right, okay, thanks very much, we'll go back, leave Jesus. Took real overcoming of obstacle. When Jesus walks in and kind of declares the girl's only sleeping, 
There's a battle going on in Jairus' heart for faith. There's a battle going on right there. There's a massive obstacle that he's got to get over. But you know, faith persists in overcoming obstacles. Faith is not about having no obstacles. Faith is about overcoming those obstacles in Jesus. Many Christians, I think, when obstacles come, say to themselves, I didn't sign up for this. I know Jesus said it might be a bit tricky and I had to carry my cross, which must mean that he suffered, which means I'm going to suffer sometime. But I didn't think I'd have to face this. I didn't think that this was going to be one of those obstacles. This doesn't seem as plain sailing as they kind of made it sound that day I kind of got saved. I just got to say, obstacles are part and difficulties are part of the Christian walk. They are there and we are supposed to overcome them with Jesus. Not sit this side of them crying that it wasn't what we signed up. Faith in Jesus, with Jesus, can help us to overcome obstacles. We are to be overcomers. Third one, faith is shown in actions. See, real faith is shown by what it produces. Neither Jairus nor this woman have identified Jesus as the Messiah or even a prophet. Yet somehow, somehow they believe if they can just believe him, if they can just put their faith into action, if she can just get there and touch him, for Jairus, if he can just go and prostrate himself before Jesus and then keep believing that yes. So their faith produces something. While I was studying this, I read uh, about Exodus 14, 21, 22, where it says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on the dry ground with a wall of water on their right and left. Now, I remember seeing this in the film. I think it was Charlton Heston, shows my age now, standing there like that. And, you know, the water parts in that kind of cinematography style back in the 60s, a bit shaky. And all the people then, hey, the water, and off they set, and they walk across the, the, you know, the sea, the Red Sea. But did you know that rabbis traditionally interpret that verse as being the waters only parted once the Israelites had stepped into it and it got up to nostril level? I didn't know that. I don't know if it's true, but if it is, it's a great description of summing up what faith is about. Faith doesn't wait to see if the water is going to part before you step out. That's not faith. That's walking by sight. If you think that faith is, I'm going to stand here until it's all absolutely clear, water's divided, obstacles gone, oh, happy day, you'll probably be stood waiting wherever you are for a very long time. Because faith is actually hearing God say, I want you to do this, and then you stepping out and doing it, even into the waters when they're coming up to your nostrils. Faith steps out believing that God's going to do what he's going to do before we drown. If it's not that way, it's not really faith. Fourthly and finally, faith is fueled by desperation that Jesus alone is sufficient to meet all our needs. 
Desperation, which is what we see here. We see desperation, two people desperate, very different circumstances, but they're both desperate. Desperation can be a terrible thing because you usually get there when you realize that you can't do it in your own strength, money, resources, power. It's a sobering moment. But the other side of that same coin is that actually, I wonder if there's one who can do something about us, and that same desperation can drive us to God. It's only sometimes when we face up to the reality that we're not God, that we, that we cannot heal ourselves, that we do not hold the power of life and death, that we do not know everything, that probably much of the stuff that we think we know, maybe we don't know as we think we know it. That actually we then stop looking to ourselves and we stop looking to that latest miracle wonder cure that you can buy for $4.99 off the internet or from QVC or read that book, Seven Successful Things to Do of Successful People, seven things, 18 things, 100 things, 27 things. There is a whole world and industry out there ready to take our money and our time because they want to tell us, they want to sell us the lie, you can be in control of everything. And sometimes it's only when all that is wiped away that we realize, oh, we're not God. And we get desperate and we begin to turn to him. Desperation that Jesus alone is sufficient to meet all our needs. I'm going to end there. All I would say is if there are situations in your life going on right now where you are desperate to see God's power unleashed, something that you see as an obstacle in your way that you can't get over or around, something that you would like to act on in faith, but you just feel like you can't move forward. I believe that there are some things in these encounters that we can learn about faith. Great. Thanks, Tim.